Welcome to the Vine Conversations podcast. Today we are joined by Dr. Brian Chapel, and Dr. Chapel currently leads the administrative committee of the Presbyterian Church in America and serves as pastor emeritus of the historic Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois. And Dr. Chapel serves um, on the faculties of numerous seminaries and Bible colleges in different parts of the world, and he conducts pastor's conferences through several nations throughout the year. And he also has a thriving radio ministry where his Bible teaching can be heard in 80 different countries around the world. And he has a great website, Brian Chapel, Chapel with two L's, brianchapel.com. So Dr. Chapel, thank you so much for joining us at the Vine Conversations podcast. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate being on. Well, we want to talk about today uh, your new book, and it's called Grace at Work, subtitle redeeming the grind and the glory of your job. So maybe just from a 30,000 foot view, why did you write this book and, and how do you feel that it contributes to the discipleship of God's people? Well, I wrote it because uh, while pastoring a church, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of people who, uh, who often think that church is removed from the real world. Right. So, yep. and I have to say, uh, and love to say, actually, Sunday is for Monday. And if we are not on Sunday getting you ready for Monday through Friday or M- Monday through Saturday, whatever it is, then we're not really doing our job. In fact, uh, if we are thinking correctly, biblically, about what work is, all honest work is done on holy ground. Yeah. So your work is actually a form of worship. Sunday's not something different uh, than your workday. It's it's all worship i know when i say that people now that is definitely an unrealistic thing to say that my work is worship Mm -hmm. but a lot of what i try to do is actually give people help them to see the dignity of the work that they're doing that god meant for it to be something that if it can't always give you joy it can always give you dignity and something that really reflect enables you to reflect his glory and honor him in it so it may not seem like worship but how you do your work, how you conduct yourself at your work, is actually a way of bringing glory to God, and that makes it makes it worship. You said our workplaces are holy ground. For so many people I know, and I've been in this role as well when I've when I've worked outside the local church um, in various part time jobs throughout my adult life. It doesn't feel at all like holy ground. Yeah. Can can you? If somebody's coming to you and saying, Dr. Chapel, that just does not resonate with my experience. Help me understand what you mean by that. How in the world could this job that I have that feels very menial and very tedious, and I'm just trying to pay the bills, in what sense am I operating on holy ground? Well, let's start with Scripture. Um, yeah. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Work as unto the Lord, not as unto men. So whether in word or deed, do all so that Jesus' name would be better known, so that people seeing what you do, how you do it, how you respond to unfairness, how you respond to awful work, even how you respond to awful routines, is reflecting a faith in what God has called your life to be and to do for Him, that you believe that the work, again, may just be a grind, but if I'm doing it in a way that honors God, 
he's getting glory through it. And for that reason, I'm not saying the work is pleasant. I'm not saying it always in terms of uh, how we typically think of meaningful life. It's always meaningful yeah. in terms of it brings me uh, a great ability to display my gifts and talents. Uh, now, if it does all that, great, fantastic. And and we pray that for one another, that our jobs really would be able to reflect uh, the way that God has gifted us and enabled us to serve him. But even if not, if what we are doing is honest, with integrity, without complaint, is uh, seeking to uh, honor the people who employ us, then we are saying, why do we do that? Well, I'm actually trying to show you God's character in my character. And to the extent that we are showing the goodness and the integrity, the honesty of God, then again, all honest work is being performed on holy ground. We, we make it holy by how we're doing the work, not because the work itself seems as though it's you know just the greatest thing to going. Now, people do jobs they love. I don't want to take that away. But, but every job has its garbage detail, too. <laughs> right, right. That's true. So we, we know that if we're doing what has to be done, um, then we're actually fulfilling our vocation, not just our occupation. Yes. Those, those are ancient words that you know, Zach, and we can explore them more fully if you want to. Yeah, let's do that right now. Um, help us understand what is the difference between my occupation and my vocation? Yeah. I mean, if you just think of the word vocation, um, it's it's from those same root words as the word for voice, right? So a a vocation historically is actually what God calls one to do. So it's his voice going out, calling us to honor him, to do a particular job uh, for this provision that we make for our family or ability to pay the bills so that we can eat and do the things that God does call us to do in addition. Occupation, those are just things that occupy us. And mm. that's important too. Yeah. But vocation has a deep sense of God actually wants me to be doing this at this time in a way that gives him glory. Now, part of what gives him glory may be doing a job that other people find uh, distasteful, that may be uh, seeking to honor God with a boss that is distasteful, that is hard, that's mean, that's cruel, that's not fair. But if I'm responding in a way that's godly, then Christ is shining in that place. Mm -hmm. And since that I'm doing what honors Christ, I'm fulfilling God's calling. So you see, what does the average person think you know, their, their job is? How can they be Christian on their job? I mean, you think, well, I don't, I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't steal, and I share my faith on the workout on the lunch hour if the job if the uh, if the boss will let me. Right. It can be so much more than that, right? Mm -hmm. If if mm -hmm. what I'm saying is, in the way that I'm fulfilling this responsibility to, to care for my family, to make a way in the world that's not dependent on others, it isn't thievery. If what I'm doing is doing it in such a way that God's character shows through me, then I'm bringing honor to God in the way that I do this job. Yeah, that's beautiful. One of the things that I've talked to people about over the years is this idea that I don't know if it was ever taught. I, I never, I never experienced this being taught explicitly, but I know I picked this up somewhere along the line that people that are in full-time ministry, pastors, missionaries are kind of like the varsity team <laughs> and, and everybody else is the junior varsity team. 
Yes. And and at our church and, and in my teaching ministry, I really in every in various facets try to dispel that, and that's why I'm so excited about your book, um, because it kind of demolishes that whole paradigm. But I'd love to hear you kind of unpack how you would tear down that paradigm that that most of us I think kind of have had or or think about you know like the really the really important jobs are pastors and missionaries. Everybody else just getting a paycheck. How do you seek to untangle that? Well, there are, there are no pastors and missionaries if people are not supporting them. So you, you have to say if if the persons that serve are as important as the ones who are put forward, because the ones put forward would have no ability mm-hmm. if there were not support. So, you know, if, if we're on, you know, the, the battle uh, field, we're saying, you know, the, the person who actually supplies the weapons is as important as the person who carries the weapons. I, I've got no ability to defend myself yeah. if there's not been faithfulness in providing what I need. Well, the weapons that God may use for his purposes are the preachers and the missionaries who take the sword of the word into the world. Yeah. And yet, if there are not people providing for them, supporting them, showing that what they are preaching and teaching is credible, makes sense, can actually be lived outside the church, then what the preachers and the missionaries do is futile. And so all that contribute to the cause are doing what is necessary as God has called us separately. And you you, you may remember the, the old words uh, there are no secondary callings. You know, mission, mm-hmm. as you said, kind of the varsity team yeah. of the missionaries and the preachers and everybody else's second strength. No, there are no second callings yeah. as we are fulfilling what God calls us to do. I, I love those old, old words of uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, who was a Christian poet. And he said, to, to lift up hands uh, in prayer gives God glory. I get that. You get that. To lift yep. up hands in prayer gives God glory. But he wrote this, for a man with a dung fork in his hand or a woman with a slop pail who gives God glory, that also is part of worship. God is so great that he intends all things to give him glory if you mean that they should. Now, yeah. I love that. All God is so great that everything we do can give him glory if that's what we mean to do. Mm-hmm. So if what I'm saying is, you know, I, I will do this job in such a way that it brings glory to God. I don't like this job, um, or it may seem menial, it may, may, may not seem fulfilling, but to the extent that I intend to bring glory to God, then God is worshiped and glorified by it. I don't even know that I told it in the book, Zach, but I, I think of the occasion where uh, I've, I got a background in journalism. So I was at a conference once uh, doing a talk on Christian journalism about bringing, bringing your faith to honestly telling stories, being fair to people, uh, trying to bring God's standards to how you uh, provide justice and advocate it, how you advocate for the poor and the oppressed. And afterwards, a young woman came up to me and she said, you know, I I appreciate what you said about uh, journalism being able to honor God. But she said, you know, the kind of journalism that I want to do is I want to write for fashion magazines. Mm -hmm. And and I, I know that's kind of vain and not honoring to God, but it's what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And so I said to her, listen, if, if what you really think is that um, the job that you will be doing is vain and vacuous, empty, then please don't do it. Mm-hmm. But 
if what you think you can do is bring to an industry that often sells vulgarity is something about the beauty of God for his people, then please bring God's character into the job that he calls you to do. You, you mm -hmm. can be not just a witness, you can change the product, you can change the industry by the way that you write. So again, writing for a fashion magazine may seem vain and vacuous, but all things give God glory if you mean that they should. Mm -hmm. And and uh, that 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 includes uh, you know as Gerard Manley Hopkins would say everything from feeding pigs uh, to writing for fashion magazines to going into the world of politics to making money for my family and jobs that may be fantastic or they may be menial if I mean to glorify God in this He will get the glory and and there is beauty in that that we should be actually extolling yeah. That's really helpful. I'm thinking, Dr. Chapel, of people that sometimes struggle with the tension of being Christians, trying to be salt and light, city on a hill in their workplace, like you're talking about. And the ethical dilemmas of getting a paycheck from an organization that formerly might not have values that we are excited about. Now we could think about this in, in terms of extremes, right? Where, and at the extremes, things get much more clear. Like we're not, I'm not going to work at a strip club or support something like that. Um, on the other end of the spectrum might be, you know, the purest, you know, ministry you could ever think of. Um, it's harder in between, right? When it comes to our vocations and how we spend our time, do you have any counsel for folks that might be wrestling with those grayer areas um, in terms of how to think that through? Well, let's, let's start with the biblical foundations. So when Adam and Eve were pruning trees in the garden, you know, I, I bet they sweat, you know, and, and I bet that was not always pleasant and so forth, but it was what God intended them to do. And just, just some basic principles. They got their labor, excuse me, I said that backwards. They got their label before they did their labor. What did mm -hmm. God say to them before they worked in his garden? God made them in his image, both male and female, which means mm -hmm. he's putting the label of, you are like me, mm -hmm. you reflect me, you are precious to me. Uh, just as I brought life into you to do what honors me, before you even do the job, I have called you precious to myself. Now that's that that's a wonderful gospel principle that we're not basing our dignity on our performance. Mm -hmm. We are not basing our worth or our value on our performance. So so that's important. The second kind of biblical concept is this: God gave the labor to do before the fall, before evil entered the world. Now, why is that important? Because sometimes people say, well, you know, work is just this awful, evil thing, mm -hmm. and you just got to do it. And I'm saying, no, no, wait. God sanctified the labor before the world fell. He gave He gave yeah. work to do because to those people that He called precious and good and reflecting of His own nature, He said, "I I work. I I bring uh, good out of nothing. I bring uh, creation into being. I create things. I have creativity. I bring beauty into the world." I'm giving you the ability to reflect me. So 
let's let's start by saying that what you do is not establishing your dignity. So there can be all kinds of things like pruning trees that might not be the most pleasant work mm-hmm. that nonetheless are not establishing your dignity. They are establishing your calling. Your calling is to fulfill what's necessary to make a living, to provide for your family. How do we see that as dignifying when, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm making widgets. You know, I'm, I'm selling dresses at a retail store. I'm, you know, putting apples on the grocery shelf, whatever is that job. Um, I'll tell you the way it made sense to me. I, I went out on the, on the West Coast some years ago, and it was a conference. And at the conference break, they took us on a tour of the cheese factory that was in town. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to see how they make cheeses. But I watched this guy who was on the assembly line. And uh, he stood there uh, as long as I was touring. He stood there and his job was about every 10 bricks of cheese that would go by. He would straighten it on the assembly line so it properly fit into the package. Yeah. If one of the bricks of cheese was twisted, he twisted it so it would be straight again. And I thought to myself, man, am I glad I don't do that job. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now, I know nothing about the man, his family, what he enjoys doing. But I thought to myself, man, that would not be using my gifts and my talents. And I would not enjoy that. But what about the man himself? Is there dignity and worth in what he does? Because you would say, you know, straightening bricks of cheese is not exactly like playing the organ in church. You know, that I can see how that brings glory to God or preaching yeah. a great sermon. Right. How does straightening blocks of cheese give anybody dignity and God glory? And then you have to think, well, if the man did not straighten the blocks of cheese, then it would not properly go into the package, would not properly seal. So bacteria gets in. So the company sells, you know, tainted cheese to customers. They get sick. Maybe they lose their lives. Maybe they can't provide for the family, but the company gets a bad reputation. Then it can't sell its cheese. Then all the co-workers can't make any money. Then their families suffer. Simply by doing your job well, you affect all these people down the line. Totally. And your family and those that you provide affect all the people down the line. What, what, I know this is going to sound kind of silly, but what God gives us all who are believers the ability to do, and what we should do is to conduct the George Bailey test about all the jobs we do. And uh, you may remember George Bailey. And now you're old enough, Zach, so you remember this. It, it's a wonderful life. You yeah. Remember the yep. Yep. So, you know, Clarence comes to George Bailey, and George Bailey thinks that he's not doing anything, but Clarence is going to earn his wings. This is not good theology, but it does make a good story. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Clarence says to George Bailey, you know, who thinks that his life is worthless, that he hasn't accomplished anything in this little town. He lets George Bailey see what life would have been like had he not lived, had he not done this job, had he not, you know, supported the building and loan. And what would life have been like? And and George Bailey has the privilege of seeing all the negative effects had he not done his job. If the guy hadn't twisted the cheese, what would have been the effects? Yeah. If you're not selling dresses in the retail store, if you're not... Um, uh, providing stock at a fair price to people who are buying it. If, if you are uh, not doing the job that call, God has called you to, what's the effect on your family? What's the effect upon your church? 
What's the effect upon your community? And when you begin to think that way, you begin to understand how God has called you to do a job in such a way, not only that it honors him, but it actually is changing the world that he has made around you. Your life has an effect upon that world. Yes. So if you say, well, but, you know, it's not exactly like, you know, uh, you know, building the greatest bridge. It, it's, it's not exactly like writing the greatest masterpiece. Well, I don't know that that's true. You know, Billy Graham's mother did not know she was raising Billy Graham. Right. She was just a child with honor. Yep. And uh, my, my wife talks about, you know, with one of our children, my wife is a professional musician. And uh, she was was changing a particularly yucky diaper, <laughs> and yep. she said, "You know, these hands have played Mozart." Mm -hmm. And uh, the friend said to her, uh, "Maybe they're changing the diapers of Mozart." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amen, amen. I mean, God is going to do things through our lives that, again, if we intend to honor Him. He's glorified in it, and and that gives me hope and joy, even in the hard stuff. Yeah, let me let me try to nail nail down again though um, the the question like folks that might have uh, an ethical dilemma with the company they're getting their paycheck from. Mm -hmm. Like this company is formally supporting things that Christian worldview says is sinful. Yes. And, and, and like, like at the extremes, you know, we don't know, you know, I mean, the extremes are very, very clear, but man, some of those gray areas in the middle, you know, do you have counsel for folks in your church or how to think through, like, when do I pull the trigger and just say, I can't work here anymore? Um, is it just a conscience uh, led by the Holy Spirit on a case by case basis? Are there other principles well, that you think can help us well there's we, now, are you gonna say gray, we, the reason gray areas are gray is is that the principles get fuzzier right right so now you you see you let me tell all those stories and you didn't even correct me to get back to your question I was just <laughs> but it was so good and all that stuff is 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 beautiful it's and i want our people to hear it now you're gonna think this is terrible but, you know, your strip club example, you know, obviously we don't want to work in a strip. You know, I actually know a preacher who in his seminary days uh, was the parking attendant in a strip club and kept trying to talk people out of it while he was parking their cars. Sure. <laughs> there you go. Sure. So he, I don't think he always tells that story, but, you know, is, is it all jobs can bring him glory if you mean that they should. Now, where do we know we cross the line? Well, uh, that you've already given me the ability to say if. I recognize that what I'm doing, if I'm honoring God's call, is I'm stamping the name of Jesus on what I produce, right? Yes. Now, can I, can I reasonably do that? You know, if, if it's something that takes advantage of people, if it's untrue what I'm marketing, yeah. Uh, if, you know, all the, obviously you can't do that. There you need to trust God as providing another job for you. And yep. you need not to do the job that, in, that, that makes you contribute to evil. Now, in the gray areas, now here's an example. I'm, I'm guessing uh, you and I both uh, have our money in some banks so that we can do the banking. Well, right. well, I will assure you, I will absolutely assure you, if you put your money in the bank, that it is supporting causes that you don't agree with. Yeah. And Christians should not agree with. But we're, we're back into the render under Caesar what is Caesar, and unto God what is God. We have to be able to function in the world. And 
to the extent that we know, right, that, that we are actually facilitating a particular evil, we cannot do that. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that we have to live in the world, the fact that I even do a job where the company supports people who I know are doing wrong things, then everything that I do is going to, in a, in a fallen, corrupt world, going to enable people to do some form of evil. I know that. Yeah. But where, where I know that I get in trouble is if I am putting my hand to the task, if I am using my talents to do what I know creates evil, that I have to trust God is giving me something else to do. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, if I work for, you know, take any major company, I will assure you the company is doing something somewhere that I'm not going to feel comfortable with. Right. So by enabling the company to progress by living according to the character of God, am I, am I showing values that help us to move in a more positive direction? Am I making an impact in, among my fellow workers in a way that's honoring to God? As opposed to, I know that this company is producing things, you know, if I'm working for Volkswagen, let's say in Germany, 10 years ago when they were producing the cars that everybody knew, right, who worked for the company, yep. you know, was, was a lie in right. terms of its uh, environmental standards. Uh, I mean, you know, cars built to cheat, you know, that, that yep. and people knew they were doing it. Yep. Well, I can't do that. But most people don't know that they're building cars intended to cheat. Right. So if they are building cars, they recognize that any major any major company, you know, has things that we wouldn't call honoring to God, but we are going to honor God. I haven't answered all your questions I, because they are gray areas because they're gray. Right. And, and if I say, um, yes, it is the Holy Spirit, and yes, it's conscience. So somewhere between the fences of, I'm clearly producing a product that is evil. Now, that's out of bounds. Mm -hmm. In order to produce that product, I clearly have to exercise values that are evil. Well, I can't do that either. Yep. But I can work honestly, and the company may be not doing everything that I wish you know, uh, the preacher himself would be doing. Mm -hmm. Well, then I made it to say, but am I able to operate with honesty and integrity? Is, the, is what I don't approve of getting so dominant in what this company does that I should not be working for this company? Mm -hmm. I need to trust that God will provide me another job. Yeah. Um, and so um, I don't think I've answered cleanly your question. No, there's no clean answer. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, that's really helpful. That's really helpful, Dr. Chapel. I, I appreciate that. I, I wanted to unpack something you said just a second ago about the cheese factory uh, guy. And I feel like that concept really helped me early on as I was working through the dignity of work and, and dismantling the varsity junior varsity, you know, uh, idea that a lot of us hold. And, and I think it's a really good exercise for all of our people to think about this with their own vocation. Um, and just, just try it, see if they can actually tease it out. And the way that I've talked about this and I, I think you would agree, Dr. Chapel, is when we connect our vocation to the goodness of God's creation, things can get really meaningful. And whether that's human beings as image bearers or um, just his created uh, world, whether it's trees and plants and just, just the, the planet that we operate on, God has said it's good and he said image bearers are very, very good. And so just for example, like um, you, maybe you could help us here. So we have a huge 
medical software company uh, here near Madison, and they have you know ten thousand ish employees. Um, why is medical software important, and how do we how how is that um, bring dig- bring dignity to the world? Yeah. Or uh, the executive assistant who works at the company, and all she does is she types out forms for people to make orders. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How is that? Um, it's the old old story, Zach, and you're you're going to know it before I even get very far into it. You know, of of Martin Luther yep. coming across a bunch of a couple of bricklayers and saying to them, you know, what are you doing? And the first says, "Well, I'm laying bricks." Mm-hmm. And the second one says, "I'm building a cathedral." Mm-hmm. And I think if somebody is working for a medical software company, if they say, what are you doing? Well, I'm entering forms into a computer. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. If you say, I'm actually helping people get well. Amen. I'm bringing the care of God into his creation. He loves all he has made. And to the extent that you know this company thrives, then people's lives flourish. Amen. So I'm 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 helping people to get well so that their families flourish or their their lives experience the goodness of God. Yeah. Now it's it's thinking downstream, right? But to recognize, you know, nothing significant happens if we're not making our contribution to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I just think so many people in the day-to-day if they can preach that to themselves, I'm contributing to the flourishing of human beings through this. I mean, medical software is a big deal. So doctors can do their job. So, so that doctors can do their job so people can get well. And when people get well, like families flourish and you know, the world is, is a better place. Um, and that's, that's just a beautiful thing that brings dignity. And I think so often we forget to preach that to ourselves and it's just a job, you know? I mean, I, I mean, I like the way you said it, Zach, because what I know so many people struggle with, listen, you and I have great jobs. We get to tell people about the Word of God. We employ our creativity. We get to, and and there's so many things I think, well, I, I get to employ my gifts. And a lot of times in American culture, particularly, we think, well, what should people do? Well, figure out what your talent out is and find out what you love and do what you love. If you're doing what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And right. you know, all, that, <laughs> all that, you know, which sounds so wonderful, you know, so just find that place where you can express your gifts and your talents. And I think, you know, what an American thing to say. <laughs> you know, the, the majority of the world, yes, in order to survive, are doing jobs that are routine and repetitive and mind-numbing. Mm-hmm. And you say, what's dignifying in that? I think very little is dignifying if they're not able to think downstream, right. what's the effect of my doing this for my family, for my culture, for my community, but finally for God. Yeah. If I do this with dignity and honor, if I do this with honesty, if I if I do this with excellence, then I'm showing something about the character of God to people around me and also helping them to flourish by the work that I do. Yeah. I know Dorothy Sayers, you know, once said, you know, uh, Jesus did not produce tables with wobbly legs. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, well, how do you know that? Well, n- you have no physical evidence to establish that. But but what you somehow intuitively know is Jesus would have worked honestly, 
and diligently to produce what honored God's gifts in him. So to the extent that he could make tables, he made them well. Yeah. To the extent that we can type, we type well. To the extent that we can honor our boss rather than take advantage of him by saying, you know, how much can I lay about and not be found out? Um, that is not in all that we do by word or deed, making the name of Jesus better known. Yes. So if I'm doing this work, you just have to say, sometimes we do jobs that are mind-numbing and repetitive and routine. But if I can do them in a way that says, but I believe in a creator God that I'm honoring in this moment, that's giving us dignity and him praise. Yeah. I, I really appreciate what you said, because I find myself having this conversation a lot in the last probably decade. When I talk to younger people about, you know, should I go to college and I'm going to college, but I don't really know what I want to do. And, and talking to people, you know, in their first career, you know, in their late twenties, early thirties. And it's like, I'm just not fulfilled. And I, I want to know, you know, what can I do that is really life giving and, and, and that whole discussion, I mean, it dawns on me that like my grandparents, I don't think that conversation was anywhere on their radar. Like my grandpa raised six kids. He struggled with depression. Um, he worked in a factory uh, after World War II and he just was trying to feed his family. You know what I mean? And they weren't rich and, and like what was fulfilling wasn't on the radar. And it, it feels a little bit like um, only people in a culture of prosperity have the privilege of asking that question. That doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but I feel like our generation or the emerging generation, it can almost be paralyzing where yeah. it's like, I've got to find this perfect thing. Or it's like the reason why we scroll, you know, Netflix and never pick a movie is because, well, there might be a better one, you know, um, or you can't get off the dating website because there might be a better person out there. And I just keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And well, I'm, I don't know if this, this is the career, you know, and as opposed to there's probably a lot of things I could do to glorify the Lord in my profession. I think about that. Um, go ahead. Well, I, I, you, you remind me of my youngest daughter, even at this point, and I have to be a little bit careful here, but in, in terms of uh, kind of mindful of her own situation, but she's in a job that I would say is not the job she always dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And she probably will not be in it for her life. But even though she has in recent, I'll say weeks and months, been tempted to think, I probably should find another job that's more rewarding, more fulfilling. She has recognized that the people who have employed her uh, since she came out of college are really struggling right now with uh, the great resignation, the time that we're in, right. to actually have capable, uh, dependable employees and if you will, she's she's in her department, um, kind of one on whom they are very much depending now for mm -hmm. the sake of the company. Now, I don't think she finds the job all that rewarding. And my guess is down the road, she'll probably find another job. But she says right now, Dad, you know, this is not my end all job. I, I really want a job that will be more utilizing my gifts and so forth. But I would hurt people right now if I yeah. were to leave. And I so respect her for that. Because she is, again, thinking of what is the impact of her life upon others. And it could just be, I need to uh, find something that's fulfilling to me and I can express my gifts. 
Instead, she's also asking the question, what damages the people who've employed me or the other employees in the company were I to walk away at this time? And that selflessness is Christ-likeness. Mm-hmm. It's it's saying I I can and should make an impact, but it is you said it well. It's such an an American affluent thing to say. You know where is the best job, mm-hmm. and I need to do the thing most fulfilling to me. Listen, if you can find a job where you can use all your gifts and it's so fulfilling, but but the reality is most of us start at a certain level that's not real fulfilling. Yeah, and then we work for a while, and either by change of job or promotion or greater expertise, we gain the ability to do that, which more fits our giftedness, as it were. Yep. And until then, I mean, I'm just going to follow on what you said, because I mean, we knew, you and I know how it happens. Um, if I'm just scrolling jobs or dating, date, dating life or whatever, and never really landing on something, then we're not recognizing it's easiest to steer a car in motion. It's mm-hmm. easiest to find God's calling for me by being diligent in the job I have. Amen. Because then either I get employed or I get the means to find something rather than just kind of being lackadaisical about now. No, I'm diligent in today. It may not be the greatest job, but if I'm diligent in today, then God is preparing me for tomorrow. Amen. So well said. I think the other thing that really helps in this whole broad conversation, um, by the way, I think is so crucial as I was thinking about this interview with you, Dr. Chapel. And like, we spend a third of our time sleeping and probably the other, another third of our time, most people at work, probably maybe even more, I haven't done the math, but we spend so much of our lives at work. And so to be able to think theologically and biblically about our work, I think is a greatly undervalued, underemphasized portion of most people's discipleship. So I'm so, by the, by the way, thank you for writing this book. And I think it's so helpful, but I was just wanting to say, um, you say on page uh, 44, just the question, what would the world look like if we didn't do our jobs? That's another way to frame it. Like you can go downstream. Like if, if I'm a garbage collector, well, what's going to world going to look like if, if garbage doesn't get picked up, well, it's going to look gross. There's lots of places in the world where they don't pick up garbage. I've been there, you know? Yeah. And, and I prefer to live in a place with garbage collectors and you can do that with any job, the cheese guy. Well, I want to eat good cheese, you know, so someone else, everybody else does too, you know? So I just love how that, that helps our people tease out. How can I do this to the glory of God? Because it's probably going to connect to the goodness of this planet and the image bearers that he's put here. Do you think that's a good yeah, way to say it. I, I mean, I love that, and I think that's exactly right. And I, I think again, as we're as we're faithful in saying, God, you know, all I'm doing right now is typing this essay, or all I'm doing right now is sweeping this floor. All I'm doing right now is whatever you know, selling these cars. But if we are honoring God by being honest in what we do, giving honest labor for the pay that we're receiving. Producing things that are not evil. Not not only does the world flourish, people begin to look at us and say, how are you finding joy in this moment? How are you finding opportunity to, to see, find meaning in something that seems without meaning? And if we're able to say, because I'm actually honoring God in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of my favorite people in the world, I, 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 I met because he, he, he 
read some of the things that I had written, and I, I had no idea, but he had recently won, this is amazing, the World Architecture Award. Wow. So so he, he had designed a house. Now, listen, out of out of rubbish in a refuse space of a major city, and he had designed a house to reclaim um, what what the world had discarded. And the world recognized that how amazing they could, you know, if we take the refuse and the rejected spaces of our world and make them beautiful and glorious, the world wanted that message. But they began to say, you know, why did you do this? And he, and he began to say, because it's the gospel that I believe in. Hmm. Because God takes what is discarded and, and refuse of my life and he claimed me and and he made me his own and he calls me precious by providing his son for me. And you know, because he received that great award, you know, he's often asked to do these uh, conferences around the world where he can express things. And he says he always tries to tell people that in architecture, there's the ability to show the values that you believe in. Hmm. And he says it's amazing to him that it is the rare person who understands at first what he's even talking about. Yeah, because what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to you know kind of build to the order. You know right. what what is, what does the company want? What does the and and he has said when I tell them they can actually express their values as we express our love of God and His character in what we build. He said that that the penny drops for people that you would think are so smart, they're so exposed to things they would have already figured that out. He yeah. says it's the rare person, and what what you and I want to do is everybody to have that joy. Mm-hmm. That that what I'm doing is I'm expressing my values in my work, and it, it may not be that that it's the greatest work. You know, that I'm winning the world architecture. But how did he do that? He did it by taking the rejected things of the world and mm-hmm. making them beautiful. If we'll take the things that don't seem to have much meaning and we intend them to bring glory to God, that is our worship, and God will be honored in that. Amen. Well, Dr. Chapel, I really appreciate you um, taking time to write this book that we could talk about today. And I have no doubt that this conversation is going to be a blessing to the people of the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin. And so um, we just want to say how much we appreciate you giving us these 42 minutes. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for letting me talk about Grace at Work. And it's just a blessing. I appreciate it so much. Mm-hmm.